Well, Happy New Year. It's good to be here once again and start of a, a new year. And today we're going to be taking a look in the section we just heard Mike talk about there. And uh, for those who don't know who I am, my name is Pastor John Bjorgard, and I'm the pastor of discipleship and outreach here at um, St. Mark. And a lot of my time is spent at Holy Cross Lutheran, a partner congregation that we've been working with for the last year, and a church that was really struggling. And what's really exciting is that church is actually doing very well. Um, they probably would have closed by now if we did not intervene, but they've had a great year, 2020, in spite of um, what's going on in the world and around us. And the church is actually growing and just seeing a lot of positive things there. So thank you for your partnership with that. And that's, you know, one of many outreach opportunities we're looking at for the future. And there's a lot of things happening at St. Mark in many ways as far as um, local outreach and just what we're doing, for example, at Holy Cross and other things we'll be talking about in the future. And possibly even by next fall, a plant at North Valley Christian Academy, which you'll hear more about in the months to come. Well, today we pick up in chapter 24 of Numbers, and I want to kind of lay out a theme that we're going to be coming back to, and the theme is this, God is always doing his part. The question is, are we doing our part? Are we doing our part? What does that mean? And I want to bring, come back to that at the end and kind of bring that all together. And so we pick up in, in 24, um, verse 1, and it says, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. He did not go, as at other times, to look for omens. But he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came upon him. And he took up his discourse and said, I want to stop there for a second. Is Balaam really a good guy or a bad guy? What do you think? He's a bad guy, okay? You see, King Balak, for the Moabites, had hired him basically to issue curses on the people of Israel. And he's a soothsayer. And so he's dealing with different types of occultic practices. And, and there's power in the dark side. He's been serving that dark side. And we're going to see even later on, as, as Mike referenced, that even though he's going to bless the people of Israel, he's still going to turn against God. We'll get back to that in a little bit. But here, he's supposed to be cursing, you know, the people of, of Israel. Now pay attention to what his, his oracle is. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor. The oracle of the man whose eye is opened. The oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel. So far, is he cursing the Israelites? No. <laughs> he's blessing them. He's, he's actually, the Spirit of God's upon him. He's, he's praising God. And he's admiring um, their camp, which is so organized by the tribes. And, and so he's admiring their organization, admiring their power. He goes on. Like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters, and the king shall be higher than Agog, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt, and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his 
adversaries and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched, he lay down like a lion, and like a lioness who will rouse him up. Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. Rather than cursing Israel, he's doing what? He's blessing Israel. And Balak, who tried to hire him and give, want to give him a lot of money, we're going to see he's getting pretty ticked off. Because Balaam is basically now almost seeming like he's on the side of Israel. Even though I'm sure inside himself he wants to make some money. He's not doing a very good job right now because Balak is not going to give him the reward that he had promised him at this point. But we're seeing that God can use even the bad guys, so to speak, to do his bidding. Think about history. Can you think of some other situations where that has been the case? Like even as far as the death of Jesus. What would have happened if Pilate would have done probably the right thing and set Jesus free? What would have happened? Jesus wouldn't have what? He wouldn't have died. It was necessary for him to die on the cross that we can find forgiveness and have eternal life. It seems like a terrible thing that Pilate did, but for us, it's what? A good thing. Why is Good Friday called good? It wasn't very good for Jesus for his suffering, but it was good for who? For us. It was also good for him too because he loves us and knew it was necessary for him to die for us to have salvation. You think about a lot of the history, even the Old Testament. One nation rises up and it becomes very idolatrous and God will so often cause another nation to come in and what? Wipe them out. We see this time and time again. In fact, I was spending some time thinking about this this afternoon. How many times in history has a righteous nation been defeated? Can you think of any times? Usually what happens is nations start and maybe like even our own country founded on Christian principles and God we trust. And we've been the most powerful nation in the world for quite some time. But I've got to be honest with you. I'm concerned about the direction our country is going. It seems more and more it's going away from God. And if you look at the history of the world, when nations turn against God, do good things happen? No. You think about Israel. Eventually, they're defeated by their enemies because they abandon what? They abandon their faith with God. They turn away from Him, become idolatrous. And so we see this time and time again in history. Now, we can't affect the whole direction of our country, but who can we affect? Ourselves. That kind of gets back to the, what I said at the beginning of this talk. God always does His part. The question is, are we going to do our part? And so, for a period of time here, Balaam does his part. He's doing the right thing, but we're going to see later on, if you study Scripture, he's going to be killed himself because he's going to turn the people of Israel, going to try to, in fact, he's somewhat successful in turning them against God. We'll see about that in the next chapter. So, verse 10. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam. And he struck his hands together. He's mad. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies. And behold, you have blessed them these three times. Now this morning I was talking about a guy named Simeon. In the section of Scripture we went over, we see at number three, <laughs> there as well too, that 
It says three times in the first part of that text from Isaiah chapter 2, verse 25 and following, the sin is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he ultimately blesses um, God, he blesses Jesus, he blesses Mary and Joseph, he blesses all of us. You see, the enemy of God, they curse God. The people of God, we should be what? Blessing God, but blessing people. Blessing is a big part of Scripture. And just for those of you that maybe weren't here this morning, there were five things I talked about. just want to bring them up really quickly as far as what is a blessing. And typically, there's appropriate physical touch. For example, when Jesus was blessing the children, he took them in his arms. There's physical touch. There's spoken word. And so, for example, he spoke to these children as he's blessing them, as he was you know, hugging them and, and touching them in an appropriate way. Spoken word. And then with the spoken word, there's attachment of high value to the individuals being blessed. High value. And then there's words of a promising and amazing future attached to that. And then words backed by the person giving the blessing. God is a God of blessing. And just as we see here, Balaam is blessing God and, and blessing the people of Israel. Our job as followers of Jesus Christ is to bless people. To lift people up to say good things about people, to attach high value, to remind people of the incredible future that we have in Jesus Christ, and to remind people that we know that God is involved in our lives. He's working all around us. And even here, we see that God is at work even in the enemy camp at this point. We read on the next section. We'll start with verse 11. Therefore now flee to your own place. I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord speaks, that will I speak. He's been an example for us right here. At this point, you know, Balaam's having a moment of clarity. And his mind is clear, and he's being led by the Spirit. He's saying all the right things. But still we're going to see he's going to stray. Is that sometimes the case in our lives too? Sometimes we're going the right direction. Sometimes we're feeling close to God, and we're doing all the right things. Then what happens? There's an amazing ability to sabotage our own lives, right? And to sabotage the lives of those around us because of sin. 14, and now behold, I'm going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in later days. Got a question up here. The Lord uses non-believers, evil people for good. Does that mean they are given a pass to the kingdom for doing the Lord's will? The answer is no. Um, he can still use them, but in the end, if they don't in their own lives submit to, you know, to God's promise and believe in Jesus Christ, they will not find salvation. And so that's a very good question. Verse 15. Now, here we're going to have kind of an unsolicited oracle following this. It's called Balaam's final oracle. And he took up his discourse and said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit can really open up our eyes to see. Verse 16. 
the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. This is pretty wild here. Because Balaam is having a prophecy about who? Jesus. Jesus is a star that's going to rise. He can see in the future that one day a Messiah, a Savior, is going to rise from Jacob. And so here, even in this evil man, so to speak, the Holy Spirit is helping him to see things that are going to happen. It's unfortunate he would wish he would just follow this and believe it himself. We're going to see pretty quick he's going to once again turn the direction of sin and evil. Verse 18. Edom shall be dispossessed. And by the way, he predicts the downfall of the Moabites. Verse 18, Edom shall be disposed. Seir also, his enemies, shall be disposed or dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities. Then he looked at Amalek and took up his discourse and said, Amalek was the first among the nations, but his end is utter destruction. And he looked on the Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Enduring is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned when Asher takes you away captive. And he took his discourse and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from Kedem, and shall afflict Asher and Eber, and he too shall come to utter destruction. Then Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also went his way. Did Balak hear what he wanted to hear? No, he heard he's going to be destroyed. In fact, all these Transjordan um, nations are going to be destroyed by Israel. And by the way, there's the Transjordan and there's the other side of the Jordan, which is a promised land. We'll talk more about that when we get there. And so right now they're on the east side of the Jordan River and they're dealing with those nations on that side of the river. And so God is doing his thing. He's making it clear, even through Balaam, that the enemies of Israel are going to be defeated. And these particular ones referred to here will be defeated. And so God's doing his thing, but now what about the people of Israel? You see, and the thing, too, is in our lives, is God working all around us? You better believe it. God is working all around us. He's doing his part to make our lives blessed, to make our lives wonderful. And he wants us to have that wonderful life. Now, chapter 25. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. That's kind of a strong word, wouldn't you say? You see, there's idolatry here and there's adultery together. And so what is believed is going to happen here is that Balaam is not done with his trickery. He could not curse the Israelites. He didn't get his money from Balak because he couldn't do it. God stopped him from doing it. But he's going to work in another more, a different way. He's basically going to encourage the Midianites and the Moabites, here's a good way to get the Israelites to fall. Seduce them. 
Try to make them believe that the gods of Midian and the gods of, of Moab are more fun than the God of Israel. And to have your women seduce their men and begin to be involved in adultery and idolatry. And so this is what happens. And so basically, it's believed that Moab, or you know, Balaam, you know, through Moab and the Midianites, he's going to get paid in a different way because his plan is going to work, at least for a period of time. Verse 2, these invite the people to, sac to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. That sounds like a pretty stern command, wouldn't you say? Take the leaders and execute them. What was the punishment at that time for adultery and for idolatry? It was death. That was the punishment. And here he's you know, saying, let's punish the leaders to kind of show example to everybody else. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses, in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation. Now I want to stop there for a second. And so here is a member of the Israelite community taking a, a woman from the, other, from the Midianites and in broad daylight going into his tent to do what he's not supposed to be doing. Even close to the presence of the tent of meeting, you know, which is a very worshipful place. It's right out in broad daylight. And we see that Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, basically the grandson of Aaron, he says he rose and left the congregation, took a spear in his hand, and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. This sounds like a really strong thing, right? These two people are put to death for what they did. But what happened? It did get the attention of the people. And all of a sudden, it, as well, too, it kindled God's anger. There was a plague that was going on and thousands of people were dying. And God had given the command to wipe out you know, a lot of these leaders because of their idolatry and adultery. But this one situation here got the attention of the people and they turned. And the people gave their lives back to God. And the plague stopped. And I want to st stop for a second there and just even, you know, this whole thing of a pandemic. New thing? No. I'm going to be honest with you. I think this is the beginning of what the future is going to bring, unfortunately. Hopefully I'm wrong. But it seems like, like every few years something else seems to happen. It's been going on for quite some time. And so often with a pandemic like we have right now, what most likely is the cause of it? Did God just strike the world with it? Even from what they believe possibly happened in China, it's one of two things. They say maybe a laboratory some people claim, which is human error, right? 
or even just human wickedry, if that's the case. Or probably the most common explanation, it was in a wet market in China. And they were doing things they probably shouldn't be doing with animals, right? And so possibly a couple people, maybe one person caused something to begin which affects every single person on this planet. Can one person have impact on the whole world? Yeah, to the good or to the bad. In this situation, obviously, to the bad. At the same time, I'm thankful for those individuals who now have come forward to figure out a vaccine. And to be honest with you, the pace of vaccine is amazing. This has never happened before in history that a vaccine has come forth so quickly. And thank God for those that had the ability to figure this all out. And so hopefully as this year goes on, we're going to see a lot of improvements. I don't know about the rest of you, but this year has been a bit challenging, wouldn't you say? And more so for some than others. But God is still always working. And I just want to encourage us to always realize that God is still doing His part. Even when we mess up, even when human beings mess up, does God quit? No. He keeps giving us what we need to get by from day to day. He gives us energy. He gives us our family, our friends. He gives us you know, roof over our heads. He gives us what we need to get by from day to day. But most of all, in Jesus Christ, He gives to us eternal life and salvation. And in Jesus Christ, we are saved from the most terrible pandemic of all, and that's called sin. It's taken away from us. God is always doing His part. The last part of this chapter kind of you know, talks a bit about this individual um, who's the grandson of, of Aaron, who does his part. And, and the one thing about him, for sure, is he's very zealous for his belief in God. And he definitely set an example for, you know, people got the point after this tough thing. And I've, I was, you know, I've, I've got to be honest with you. Some of the parts of the Old Testament are hard for me sometimes to, to follow because it's different than our society today. Okay, so like in a church situation, if, if somebody goes off, you know, kilter completely, we can't, you don't go and kill them. You know, they end up in jail. Um, but in that day and age, a different world. God is their God. God's also their ruler. And these people, you see, God's concerned about our salvation. And what is worse, for two people to be killed or for tens of thousands of people to go to hell? You see, God is concerned about the big picture. We so often look at what's happening in the world. And we're only here for a short period of time. And eternity is for how long? It's forever. A lot is at stake in the short span of time called our lives, and so often we're so influenced by the world. And we can go astray, and we don't realize the importance of this faith that God has given to us. We're going to jump to 26, and it starts out. Verse 1, After the plague, the Lord said to Moses and to Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel, from 20 years old and upward by their father's house, all in Israel who are able to go to war. And Moses and Eliezer, the priests, spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Take a census of the people from 20 years old and upward as the Lord commanded Moses. And the people of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt were... Now, I'm going to make this chapter really short because I'm not going to read what's following. It's a long listing of this census being taken. But I'm going to give you some highlights. Almost 40 years before, another census had been taken. 
The number of Israelite fighting men over the age of 20 was about 603,000. At the conclusion of this census, done 40 years later, after been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, guess what? The number is 601,000. Almost the same. Slightly down. And it goes through each tribe. And the one that took the biggest hit was Simeon. They're down almost 30,000. One of the fastest growers is Judah. And so it's a difference between the different ones, but in the end, the number is almost identical because God promised that this would be the case. When they went into the promised land, that there would still be a powerful nation. In fact, if you want to extrapolate 601,000 fighting men over the age of 20, if you figure in those men under 20 and all the women, you're probably talking 2 million people. Is that a pretty sizable group of people? You better believe it. That God provided for them in the wilderness that they could survive. And they did for 40 years. However, there's also some other reasons why the census was taken. Because when the people, you know, they're at the, basically the, at the Jordan River, soon they're going to go across into the promised land. But we're going to see that only a couple of them are going to be allowed to go in. They were over the age of 20 at the previous census. All the rest had to do what? They had to die off. Remember what happened 40 years before? God sent 12 spies into the promised land. And they came back. And 10 of them said what? There's giants. We can't take them. They're more powerful than us. Yes, the land is beautiful. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's amazing. But they're too big. The cities are too fortified. We can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb came back and said what? Let's go right in. We can take them with God. All things are possible. Who was right? Joshua and Caleb. The other ten were wrong. But yet so often in life, what happens? People go with the crowd, right? Is a crowd always right? How many times in life have you gone with the crowd and completely messed up? I've been there. But so often, those who deeply follow God so often are going in a different direction than society. And that's hard to do, isn't it? Because so often as Christians, we may feel like we're, we're trying to swim against the current. And it's hard and it's challenging. Is being a Christian an easy thing? No. It's not easy. But it's blessed. This is what I know in my life. You know, I've served as a pastor for you know, almost 34 years. And I can't say the journey's been easy. But it's been blessed. And I see what God has done in my life. And I can honestly say that through the most difficult and challenging times that I've faced, I've grown the most. And I look back now and I thank God for what I went through then. But so often, when you're going through the difficult times in the present, is it hard to see what's going on? Is it frustrating and difficult? It is, isn't it? But when the history keeps repeating itself over and over again, you begin to realize that even when the bad times happen, in the end, what's going to happen if you trust God? It's going to work out. Everything works out in the end. It really does. And I want to jump to the end of this chapter. I want to pick up in verse 63. Verse 63. These are those listed by Moses and Eliezer, the priest who listed the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. But among these 
there was not one of those listed by Moses and Aaron the priest who had listed the people of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said to them, they shall die in the wilderness. Not one of them was left except Caleb the son of Jethunay and Joshua the son of Nun. Only two from that generation is allowed to go in. And we all know, as we're going to see pretty soon, Joshua is going to be their leader from the tribe of Ephraim. What do you know about a guy named Caleb? Anybody know what tribe Caleb came from? Anybody know? Judah. He came from Judah. And that's a significant tribe because from Judah is going to come who? Jesus. And Caleb's an amazing example, a Christ-like example to all of us. Because that guy was afraid of nothing. After they go into the promised land, one of the last things we're going to see of him is he's going up these hills with his soldiers to take the highlands. He didn't want the easy place to take. He wanted to take the tough ones. In fact, his name means faithful one. His name is, means fully committed, all in, completely in. And so now as they prepare to go into the promised land, something else too I want to talk about with the genealogy from this, this census. The land is going to be allotted according to the number of people in each tribe. And every tribe is going to get their own section of land. So it's another reason why they did the census plus. It also lays out the fighting men as they go in to take the land. But I want to end now where we began. Where we began was this. The question was this. Actually, first it was, first it was a statement and a question. God is always doing his part, right? He's always doing his part. The question is, are we doing ours? Before I kind of lean, lean into an answer with that, I want to say this. When it comes right down to it, when it comes to our salvation, we cannot do our part. Because that part is done completely by who? By God, by Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace we are saved through faith that's not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Our salvation is completely and 100% attained for us by Jesus Christ, right? But what part do we have a part in? How we live our life. We've been saved by grace. In verse 10, that same section I just recited for you, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Does what we do matter to God? You better believe it does. It also matters for our own lives too. Because the more we follow the ways of God, the more we're going to see Him work in our lives. Does it mean life's going to be easy? Not necessarily. But we do know this. Through God, all things are possible. And that's the attitude God wants us to have. You see, Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, made a very clear statement. Go make disciples of all nations. Jesus' vision for the world is a world filled with disciples. It doesn't say just believers. Believers are important. If you believe, you're going to be saved. For the people that wandered in the, in the wilderness for 40 years and were not allowed in the promised land, did they go to hell? No, they're still saved. They still believe the promises, but they had to go in circles in their lives. And what I see is this. I see a lot of Christians going in circles in their lives. When God is encouraging us, go straight in. 
Don't hold back. Don't be afraid. Make a difference in this world. I am concerned about the direction of our society. What are we going to do? Are we going to go along with it? Or are we going to stand up for the truth? And standing up for the truth is difficult, it's hard, but it's blessed. And the more that we go that direction and commit ourselves to doing things the way God calls upon us to do it, we see amazing things happen. And our life has more meaning, it has more purpose. And it's going against the flow of society. There's a world and there's a word. And I pray that in this year 2021, that our desire more and more is to choose God's word. That we make a plan this year how we're going to get more deeply involved in the word, you know, through devotional materials, through Bible study, to figure out a way you're going to do that. Because if we don't make a plan, most likely nothing's going to happen. There's a lot of great resources. So I want to encourage us. Even, you know, we're really encouraging people to consider a small group. They're going to be on Zoom, as we heard in the announcement this morning. We have great resources on our website. We have the Through the Bible in a Year program um, in the website as well. For If you want to have a, you know, for example, there's something I put together a little over a year ago that has weekly readings going through the entire Bible um, with question sheets where you can go th- answer questions while you're reading with a video um, that explains what you read for that week. To find something that works for you. The Bible Project, a great resource. My prayer is this. God is doing His part. Let's do our part by being more committed to Him to follow the example of people like Caleb. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank and praise You for Your amazing love for us. And Lord, as we take a look in Scripture, we see a lot of things over and over again, a lot of repeated themes. You are always working. You're always doing your part, but we see people continuously turning against you, going the wrong direction, sabotaging their lives and the lives of others. And sometimes, Lord, we're the same way. We sabotage our lives. Sometimes we sabotage the lives of those around us because of sin. We're saved by grace, Lord, but help us in this coming year to realize that your Spirit is calling upon us to follow you more deeply to grow in our faith, to become disciples, people who grow in your love, people who share your love, even a world that so often is so evil, a world that so often is living in darkness. Lord, help us in a greater way than ever before to bring your love to the people we see on a daily basis and be people who bless others, people who bring blessing to you. In the process, we bring blessing to ourselves. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.